0: Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Um, said a while back, we'd be in Luke for quite a while. We spent quite a bit of time in John, and uh, really took our time getting through Luke 10. And we're going to look today at the first 13 verses of Luke 11 as we look at the discourse on prayer. And again, uh, this being the next event in our chronological study on the harmonies of uh, of the Gospels, um, Lord willing. I'll keep working on this. It's, it's been six, almost seven full years of my ministry so far that I've been working on this harmony. It uh, wasn't really to establish any kind of credibility for myself. It was really to break down the uh, the broken logic I had from being a Catholic, the things I didn't understand, the things I'd never heard in order. Uh, and it's really become a great blessing to me because of the things we can draw out of it as Landmark Baptists that, um, that really validate the things that we practice Uh, and Lord willing uh, one day I'll have this study done and uh, there's been quite a few folks who have encouraged me to print it Um, I'm just gonna be transparent I don't know anybody I would trust with that but you all so if that day ever comes uh, the phone will ring because I just don't know who I would trust that with so I don't know that the Lord will have me do that but if he does uh, I think it will be a great blessing it's certainly going to be something I, I at least print up for my children Luke 11 verses 1 through 13 and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. What, a, what an open and honest question. I don't know if you've ever asked that. Um, as I alluded to, I wasn't brought up Baptist, so I had to ask this. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church is really quick to teach you how to recite words. But I didn't actually know how to pray. And I had to ask that. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to be forthcoming. Teach me to not take another step without first beseeching you and seeking guidance from your word. Lord, teach us to pray, says the disciples. And Jesus said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is, in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given given you. Seek, and and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, we did speak a little bit this morning already about the need for us to pray in the Holy Spirit, uh, so we won't spend as much time on that. But prayer is an essential for us. And I, I hate to use the worldly terminology that we've been programmed with for the last three years, but prayer is an essential. And it's essential to having a relationship with God. It's, it's not what's going to change his mind on things, but it is what's going to break our heart and open up our eyes to some things. It's also what's going to pace us. Uh, Brother Paul Stepp was here in January and preached on that, probably the best message I've ever heard on pacing ourselves behind the Lord's leadership. And if we're open in our prayer, as open as you need to be to say, Lord, teach us to pray. But if we're open in our prayer, we are paced by how the Lord leads And that's a good place to be. Let's consider a few other places of Scripture concerning prayer. Matthew chapter 6, and verse 5. We see the Lord teaching and instructing again on prayer. He says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet... And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And honestly, uh, if your finger's still there in Luke eleven, you might want to write Matthew six five through twenty one in the margins, um, because it's real easy, especially if you're a former Catholic to get into that rhythm of reading what's in Luke 11 and think this is the prayer. This is the Lord's prayer as they instruct. We should recite this word for word. But in Matthew 6, we literally see the Lord saying to avoid vain repetition. He was illustrating in that model how it is we are to pray, what it is that we are to include in our language with God. If you were to go to even another English-speaking nation. You'd want to familiarize yourself with some of the priorities of their language to not offend them, to also be able to engage with them. There's, there's certain things that move around in a sentence when we take our, our broken English, <laughs> broken American English, and try to go talk in England or, or uh, some parts of Africa it would come out as vain babbling if we didn't actually spend some time investing in how we are to communicate with other people and the lord is illustrating here how to communicate with not just a person but god the father the creator of the universe and he says be be not ye therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him some might stop there and say why should we pray That's a great place to ask that question because that's exactly the intention the Lord has here. He wants for the reader, probably wanted then for the audience to say, now wait a minute. Why should we pray then? If He already knows what I have need of before I even ask, and really going further, before the need even arose, the Lord knew I'd have a need of it, why ask? Jesus says here, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I want to interrupt again seems like the conversation changed pretty quickly. Suddenly we, we roll out of the, the model prayer, if you will, right into forgiveness again. But look at the end of the model prayer. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the Lord sees an opportunity to preach a message to him on forgiveness once more. Then he goes into, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. That they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So in these two different accounts, we have some of the same words, but two different references to uh, hypocritical actions. The standing and praying um, for an audience, essentially, which the Lord says is hypocritical and it's not what we are to do. But then also a fasting Uh, Publicly, which probably is confounding to most of us. How would you openly fast so other people know that you're fasting to to garner attention to it? But we we know from our study already, others have openly admitted, I fast twice in the week, Lord. And this is uh, the practice of some of these who call themselves to be Jews. Uh, A certain sect, that's what they did. They fasted twice a week. And he calls out here that they disfigure their faces so that others know that, The hunger pains are within them because they're righteous and they're fasting and they're doing all these things for the Lord. The Lord said it's better for you to do that in secret. It's better for you to have an open and honest and intimate relationship with God privately than to blast it all over the planet publicly and actually have no relationship with God at all. It's better to be where you are. It's better to be open with yourself and honest with yourself where your relationship with God is because He already knows the truth of your relationship with Him. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore I put thee in remembrance, see more remembrance in the Bible, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And we just read recently about that love's, uh, purpose to abound in all judgment and in all knowledge and we see Paul continuing that lesson here when he's writing to Timothy in praying <clears throat> we should always give thanks for past blessings comfort and provision we should be praying for present deliverance and mercy as well as beseeching the lord for future guidance as we pray let us note that uh, let us note what can be gained from the text that is before us and there's three different points we want to look at today in regard to prayer, uh, specifically in the Lord's instruction of it, remember who it is we are speaking to, remember who it is we are to obey, and remember who we are indebted to. This should guide our prayers. And this is really the focus, the whole first part of that model prayer. The focus is this God in heaven who created the heavens and the earth, this God who created all things, the sovereignty and the majesty of him comes out in what the Lord is depicting as an example for us and how we should pray. Remember who it is we are speaking to. In Ephesians 1, verses 3-6, through we have a beautiful picture of who it is we're speaking to when we pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ for us, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. This is past. This is a past prayer of thanksgiving that we are to pray. That we should be. Here's a future prayer of future guidance. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having in our presence in our in our reach in our grasp the things of god having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved we have past present and future right there in those four verses if we don't know tonight what to pray for, let us open up our Bibles to Ephesians 1 and read aloud verses 3 through 6 and say, Thank you, Father. Teach me how to pray. Thank you, Father. Teach me how to communicate with you. Teach me how to present my needs to you, how to lay them out before you before they overcome me, before I'm overwhelmed by the world. Transform my mind, Father. Allow me to put you in remembrance of these great gifts of the one that you pray to. He hath blessed us sinners with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He chose you before creation itself that you would be sanctified, holy and without blame, before Christ. He adopted you as children by Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. And he made you acceptable by his grace through Christ in the Beloved. This is who you are praying to, beloved. It is by Christ that we do anything, including communicate with the Father. He made all this possible. When you close the door to the rest of the world in private devotion, it is so you can speak with the aforementioned Lord and Savior, that he might stir up his gifts in you, that you be found fruitful and profitable in the ministry. Secondly, remember who it is we are to obey. Turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 14. We've been here quite a bit lately, but we're going to get a little further into the chapter today. John 14, verses. uh, we're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to read all the way uh, into chapter 15 a little bit. John chapter 14, verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us? And not unto the world. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, here we go again, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. More remembrance. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice." Because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the Prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman, or the gardener. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8, Here is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. If a man loved me, how do we love Jesus? I'm not asking in to what degree i'm asking how do we love him what do we see in this text that tells him how we love him gary chapman writes a series of books entitled the five love languages in which you have to think outside yourself and and really invest in another human being to figure out what their love language is and essentially a love language is uh, there's two ways how you express your love for someone and how you receive love from someone um, I, I the Lord is the one who did it, but the Lord used this instrument to save our marriage years ago. Taught us how to love one another. Christians, we ought to learn how to love one another. and the importance of this lesson, we ought to learn how to love God. And he tells us, he, he doesn't say, go read Gary Chapman's book. He literally says, keep my words, feed my sheep, forgive as I forgive. And we can assign very little value to these things if we'd like. But this is what he's telling us is his love language. The contrast to that, the hard lesson I had to learn when we went through that series together was that when I know her love language and refuse to speak it, I'm telling her the exact opposite of I love you. When I know how she receives love and I avoid it, intentionally or unintentionally, I am telling her I don't care so much. We know the Lord Jesus' love language. And if we know his love language, we know the Father's love language. And if we know it and forsake it, we are telling him something very different than I love you. Luke chapter 7, verses 40 through 43. Jesus answering unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. He says, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? simon answered and said i suppose that he to whom he forgave most and he said unto him thou hast rightly judged even as christ forgave you so also do ye colossians 3 13. the hypocrite inheritor of satan's noose is questioning the blessed doctrine of election to the king of kings and lord of lords and his response was to repeat that which he had already spoken countless times he answered and said if a man love me he will love my he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will uh, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which ye hear is not mine but the father's which sent me this is my love language this is the lord saying if you love me if you've been called By me. If you love me, it's because I love you. That's what scripture says. But then he tells us how to express it. When describing the meaning of being born again, Jesus tells Nicodemus that those born of the Spirit cannot tell where the calling comes from nor where it goes. And he uses the word listeth, which is only used one other time in the New Testament. James uses it to describe how little control we have over our own tongues. We are called to bring our bodies into submission, to submit unto God, to be in control of that which we have. If we can't control, and James describes this very, very well. There's your homework for tonight. Go read James. If we can't control one of the smallest of muscles in our body, which is as a fire that cannot be quenched, the tongue. If we cannot find a way to harness and control this muscle, then we must fall on our knees and plead for the mercy of God because we most desperately need Him. Now this isn't an assignment of blame to anyone in particular in the room. James literally says this muscle cannot be tamed apart from God. How many fires, how many wars have been started with the tongue? How many relationships have ended with the tongue? How many new doctrines have tried to be added to this word with the tongue or to protect the tongue? Allow me now to put you in remembrance of the obedience that Jesus speaks of in this portion of text. John 14 verse 26. We just read through all this, but just to break it down a little bit more. We read the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, from uh, whom the Father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever i have said unto you you owe your ability to learn and remember these things to christ he once delivered it and he through the holy spirit brings it back to remembrance the next verse verse 27 of john 14 he says peace i leave with you my peace i give unto you not as the world giveth give i unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid couple of things here Any peace that we know of is not of this world. It belongs to and comes from Christ. That is the true peace. That means your peace of yourself is not good enough. That means the plateau for which we all say, if I can just get here, I will be satisfied, is worthless. The only peace that matters in all the universe comes from Christ Jesus, or it does not come at all. That means there's not enough money that you will make before you can finally be at peace. That means there's not a level of good health that you will achieve or attain to or arrive at in which you will finally know peace. There will always be something else. Homeowners, what a perfect picture we have. You spend 30 years paying off your house just to find it on the 31st year completely broken down. It's at least 30 years old. Now it needs to be rebuilt, repaired, remodeled. That's how these things go. There's one piece, one piece that will never need rebuilt, never need repaired, never need remodeled, never need revamped. That's the piece that we find in Christ Jesus. In John 15, the, uh, verses 8 through 9, we read, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples, as the Father hath loved me. So have I loved you, continue ye in my love. Our fruitfulness comes from the grace displayed in Christ. It is spread to others by the grace that we display and is displayed as we remember It is a gift of God that must be stirred up by our remembrance of Him. Do you remember Him? What do we read in the letters to the seven churches? One of of those letters, there's a warning that the church forgot their first what? Forgot their first love. Not their first work. Not their first preacher. Not the first doctrine that they learned. Not their first... Home, house, car, church building, their first love. We're starting to see some priorities now, are we not? Peace of Christ is paramount. Love of Christ is his commandment. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then we see here the bearing of fruit, which is a type of his receiving love language. If you love me, feed my sheep. That's fruitful. Not what they do with it, but what you're doing with it. Are you bearing fruit? You want to bear a lot of fruit, plant a lot of seeds. It's very, very simple. Because we know in the parable, some seeds will fall on stony ground. Some seeds will be devoured up. There's a lot of hazards and dangers to seed. But if you want a good crop, you got to plant a lot of seeds. High-yielding seeds. Not the wasteful seeds that we just scatter across the world by saying, "Oh, Christian, I got a fish sticker on my bumper. Come, know Jesus, follow me. W.W.J.D." and all of these catchy things that we throw out there. Let's let's plant some high-yielding seeds. Let's cry with some folks over the sin that was once reigning in our members, not our fellow church members, our members. The sin that we once knew. Let's plant some high-yielding seeds by going out to the world, not with the ambition that we're going to add Bereans, but with the ambition that we're going to give the gospel. Because that's the commission. To give, not to take. To give. Abba, Father. Let's plant more seeds. Verse 11 of John 15. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy... Might be above empty. No. That your joy might be full. Anybody's joy in here today full? I reckon I could ask that in just about every one of the Lord's churches and Justin Myers is the only one who would raise his hand. Scratch that. Nate Hilly would raise his left hand. And we could raise our hand. How often do we choose joy Do we have a desire for our joy to be full? Because it's not just that we look like our lunch money's been stolen. We sometimes look like we don't even want joy. I know I do. We act like we don't even want to be happy. We're so content in misery at times, it's all we know. But be of good cheer. Christ Jesus overcame the world. We're going to have problems, tribulations, real big issues. But any joy that we know of is not of this world. It's of Christ. His desire, his commandment, is that we love one another as he loved us, that we would experience his joy to the fullest. How do we do that? How do we put off the old man and put on the new man? How do we answer what seems to be unanswerable questions? It all has to point to Christ you're here today and you want joy to the fullest it can't be about you anymore if you're here today and you want to see lost souls saved you can't witness like you've always done you just got to go out there and talk about the lord jesus more if you want to see the lord revive in your life your passion for him start reading the bible dot 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 more because more doesn't really apply to all of us. For some of us, we just need to start reading his Bible, reading his word. I'm not convinced he's making less males, and that's why we don't have more preacher candidates for pastoring. I am utterly convinced we have a lot more males that don't read the word of God. We have a lot more men that do not submit to the commandments of God. They do not take seriously their role in the home. They do not take seriously that they should be writing the word of God on their hearts and therefore they have forsaken him and their families and in turn their churches. Lord help us. We have this message, we have this charge. We are to take it out there. We are the ones to bring in the sheep. Give the gospel, plant more seeds. How could we not ask or, or rather how could we not seek to obey one who lived suffered, died, and was resurrected that we might experience his grace, peace, joy, and love. How could we not seek to obey such a one? As you go into your times of prayer and devotion, take these things into remembrance. Third and lastly, remember who we are indebted to. And this goes right back to our text there in Luke chapter 11. All of these things which we have been given were given of a loving Father, one whose wrath we have incurred, and we deserve. One who we have no right to ask more of due to our own righteousness. Yet Jesus says to us in the text, and there is an acronym here, A-S-K, ask. He says, ask, and it shall be given you. S, seek, and ye shall find. K, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Ye have not, because ye A-S-K It's a pretty important acronym for those who are seeking to pray. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And we've got eths there. That's a continual motion. Continual asking, continual seeking, continual knocking. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give a fish, uh, uh, for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? You, father, stay away from Zebediah if that's the gifts that you will give when he asks of that. These aren't just kind of bread. These are horrible things. And I assure you, Zeb would eat a stone if you told him it was bread. Pray for that boy. He's a handful. And with a serpent and scorpion, I couldn't even imagine what he would do. But then in the, in the text, we read the following. If ye... This is who Jesus is speaking to. Ye. Who asks these questions? The disciples. If ye. These aren't the Pharisees and Sadducees. Ye. That's the church. If ye being evil. Look how he just kind of throws that in there. You. If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of A A-S-K. Ask. Seek. Knock. Looking again to what's referred to as the model prayer, the Lord gives us here uh, three different segments of concern, and this is this is what we'll close with. And we're going to pull all of this right out of Luke 11. Again, who are we speaking to? Luke 11. He said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. We see the sovereignty of God in this verse, do we not? We see his person, his accomplishment, his place, his holiness, his reigning, his kingdom. He's not just in a house, he's in the kingdom. And we see his control. Thy will be done. And we see uh, where in which his will will be done. In heaven and in earth. In all of creation, your will shall be done. That's just in one verse. All are his to create, call, and correct. May he be pleased in our remembrance of his position as sovereign creator of all things. Secondly, who we are to obey. Yes, these are the same three points from the whole message. We see it all right here. Who we are to obey. Verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread. Matthew 4.4 4 and Luke 4.4 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We saw it in our Genesis study on Wednesday. Give us day by day that which we require for living. That which we require. We're not here asking for food. We're asking for what we need every day to be delivered every day. And what is it that man needs most? The words that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew four four and Luke four four. What's happening there? Our Lord Jesus is being tempted of the devil. Tempted not because he's going to give in, but tempted because the devil is laying out his best game plan. And Jesus responds, "As man shall not live by bread alone." Even in his response, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. You ever thought about how we have that account? Because Matthew and Dr. Luke weren't walking with Jesus when he was tempted of the devil. He would fasted a great period of time there, and he's being tempted over that period of time to give in to the devil's uh, invitation, if you will. At some point, he had to instruct his disciples... With this as an example, gather around, ye twelve. Gather around, ye disciples, and hear of the day in which not only did the devil seek to sift Peter like wheat, but he sought to sift meat. Probably in a time of great discouragement, he had to encourage the early church with this, uh, with this telling. This isn't a story. This happened. But he had to tell them at some point or it wouldn't have been chronicled in the word of God. And every temptation is faced down with the same promises that we, today, with faith in God, can use to overcome the devil. Go look in Matthew four and Luke four. Test me on this. See if the Lord Jesus didn't give us the very words, the very encouragement that we would need. And how often might we need it? Give us day by day, our daily bread. These are daily lessons from the Lord that we are to heed and remember that we might continually stir up the gifts of God. How often do the gifts of God need to be stirred up? Day by day by day. The Spirit's willing. The flesh is weak. We wake up with one crick in the neck and we forget all about the mercy of God. Do we not? We wake up and uh, WTVA says a tornado's coming and we get all worked up again wake up and find out that a loved one has passed find out that a loved one is going through a uh, a horrible situation in a relationship with a friend or a significant other and suddenly we start to lose sight of hope we need every day to remember that we aren't living off of bread we aren't living off of that which will perish we are living off every word that proceeded out of god's mouth and those words are fruitful And lastly, who are we indebted to? Verse 4, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The casual believer who does not take personal prayer and devotion seriously might look at this last segment as the least God could do. What a dangerous place to be. God, you want to get me into heaven? This is the least that you could do for me. Forgive me. Sounds like the work's all on you. It's the least that you could do. Recognize today that it is by God's grace that we did not also inherit potter's field with the son of perdition. We all had claiming rights to that field, did we not? And if we haven't yet, like our early forefathers, after Christ's ascension, we may still, before it's over, have the same calling rights Renounce Jesus or die. Take Potter's Field or die. What did Iscariot do in Potter's Field? He hung himself. Eventually burst asunder in Potter's Field for the same bribe money that he received to betray Christ Jesus. Will you also betray Christ Jesus? He's taught us how to pray. He's taught us what we need. He's taught us that we need a great strengthening. A trial is coming. If it hasn't already arrived, we will need this strengthening. Worse yet, he, he or she might think this is something that we could avoid on our own. Why, why do I need you to lead me not into temptation? I'll just avoid temptation. Why would I need you to deliver me from evil? I'll just avoid evil. John 9.33 says, If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Jesus says in John 15:5, Without me ye can do nothing. You won't avoid temptation and evil. Your attempt to not ask for deliverance from temptation and evil will quite literally lead you into temptation and evil. May the Lord see fit to bless his word.